0: Our Father, we do again thank you to begin with for all things, knowing that you are the one who is sovereign. You're the one who has created everything <clears throat> and uh, at the very word and hand of our Lord Jesus brought all things into being, including this vast universe that speaks so strongly of your created power and glory. And, Father, I'm so thankful that you have brought many to Saving Faith down through the years and uh, that uh, some of them are with us today, and we just rejoice in that. Father, thank you that we each have a testimony to share with others and that you are working powerfully and far and wide, really, to, uh, to bring the good news of our Lord Jesus those that are still in darkness though the world's dark father and it it is indeed uh, the light of the glory of your grace still shines brightly and will always and we thank you that uh, there is an indwelling in our hearts of yourself and our dear savior so father thank you that we have eternal life and that is the resurrected life of the lord jesus christ thank you that Paul has taught us so much, and as we've spent time here in these letters recently, Father, thank you that you've been writing that word upon our hearts, and that we might have a hope that not only endures, but that grows day by day. Father, I pray for our nation. It's in such a state of turmoil with these upcoming elections and with election uh tactics that are destructive to our nation's uh, ongoing health. Father, we, we just pray that uh, you would deliver this nation and our people from the evils that surround us. So many are given over to evil, and they're in high places, Father, and they have great power. But their power does not match yours, and we know that. So we're waiting to see how you will work. Please encourage those that serve well in government and uh, on every level. We certainly pray for our president and those that serve with him. Please encourage them and give them success uh, in their uh, leadership of the nation and in their actions and words that uh, they might guide and lead our people well. Father, I thank you for the peace and safety that we are enjoying, and uh, we know that that's also a great gift. We're thankful for the use of this technology this morning that binds us together in this manner, and thank you for opening your word to us. And Father, there are so many unspoken requests and so many others that I know well, but just haven't mentioned, and uh, you know them even better than we do. You know the needs of the hearts and hear their cries. We're so appreciative, Father, and thankful. In Christ's name, and amen. Right, well, we um, not only gather again here uh, in the same subject, same, same general subject, which is what Paul has written there to Timothy in his first letter, but also looking back I promised to do that. Remember how the apostle went back to Genesis in order to uh, undergird his teaching that had uh, women in the central focus. There were some women in the church there in Ephesus, where Timothy was pastor, who had tried to take over the leadership and the teaching there in the assembly, and it was causing quite a lot of confusion. So the Apostle writes very boldly and directly about it. But in order to underscore his teaching, he goes back to Genesis. There are some things in the Bible that are in no way dispensationally variable. They're not changing. They're they're set uh, in the fabric of history, and they will not change. And some of them are established uh, way back there in the early chapters of Genesis. And that's why Paul goes to Genesis uh, to uh, provide that kind of background for his teaching there in First Timothy. You remember those strong words there, First Timothy chapter two, verses the eleven and twelve. And I'm I'm starting out there. They're very very strong words. But but what you are going to begin to see today, I mentioned it last week. But what you'll see more fully today and in the next couple of uh, studies, if the Lord blesses us with those, um, is that this strong exhortation is based on a very
1: significant work of God that is is focused really
0: ultimately on the word hope and <laughs> what that means. Uh, Hope for the human heart is right at the center of where God is uh, working his blessings, right? He is the source of a hope that is eternal. And we're going to be seeing that today in a very special way, I hope, as we open uh, mostly in uh, the Old Testament Okay, so those words in in 1 Timothy chapter 2, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence, okay? Uh, He goes on then to talk about the effect of Eve's rebellion, reading uh, from Genesis, and its effect on all women from that day on. Now, the woman was deceived, but the man, Adam, was not deceived. And so it was Adam's sin that carried the most significant penalty of all that passed upon Adam and upon all that would uh, uh, be his descendants, his offspring, right? But Eve did receive a penalty. For her willing though just, <laughs> though uh, in ignorance, but her willingness to uh, to turn aside from what God had laid down there through her husband Adam, uh, those effects of the rebellion were great, and what does it say? It says uh, in First Timothy chapter two, verse thirteen, for Adam was first formed. Then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And this takes us back to Genesis chapter 3. But before we go back, um, the next verse in First Timothy there says this. Notwithstanding, in other words, let me read that again. Um, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in The transgression, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So the effects of the rebellion would come upon Adam and would come upon Eve and all of their offspring. Nevertheless, (laughs) with this judgment comes hope and that's what we want to keep focusing on here Uh, what does he write he says she shall be saved in the childbearing if they continue in faith and charity or love Sagape love and holiness with sobriety so self-sacrificial love she shall be saved in the childbearing I have to go back and read from Genesis 3 just so you know the context there. Genesis 3.15, where the Lord God speaks directly to the serpent after he has enticed and deceived Eve into partaking of that forbidden fruit. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So the seed of the woman is the center focus here, and that will continue to be the center focus down through time. Okay? Then the next verse says, "Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Well, it's from these verses that the Apostle Paul takes the basis for his teaching there in uh, the first letter to, the, to Timothy about the order that God has established in the churches well certainly there's an order in creation an order in humanity and an order in the churches uh to be respected because god has placed that order there uh those who act in rebellion against that and that's really what eve was doing by the way she was acting in rebellion against her husband who had said uh thus hath god said and she had uh uh, twisted it in her mind with Satan's help and eventually uh, brought this evil upon her husband and then the human race. Okay? But notice what it says there. There was great hope. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Through the seed of the woman there will be deliverance. Okay? There will be deliverance through the seed of the woman. And Paul, interpreting this to that specific situation, says, he says in verse 15 of 1 Timothy 2, Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in the childbearing if they continue in faith and sobriety and holiness with sobriety. It does very clearly indicate the hope that she, Eve, should have had and uh, that many should have, looking forward to the plan that God has worked out. There is a plan of redemption. Now, the salvation mentioned here isn't clearly not eternal salvation for Eve or for any sinner somehow being accomplished through childbearing no that's not the point of it at all right but there is hope nevertheless for deliverance deliverance from what salvation from what deliverance from the judgments that had come upon them right and in those very judgments there would be hope uh, for the human heart
1: okay Let's go on quickly to our main theme today.
0: I've taken some words out of the prophet Zechariah for our title today and our theme. And those we'll read that that great prophecy in a moment. But those words are prisoners of hope. Prisoners of hope. And specifically, God's blessing upon women was always a reality. And today we'll look into the Old Testament for that. Also, next uh, time, Lord willing, then we'll look into the New Testament to see how many down through the centuries had become what? Recipients of a curse? No, prisoners of hope. (laughs) I think it's quite a wonderful expression when you think of it and ponder it. Okay. See, the reason why there's hope is that God sees the end from the beginning. <laughs> He's working out a whole plan, and that plan has the seed of the woman right in the center of it. That he singles out the woman to be the source of that blessing is, is, a, is a great <laughs> thing indeed, right? So what are we today but those that are bound to the course of history, and that history has a glorious end because it is the will of Almighty God that's being accomplished. God knows the end from the beginning and has placed us in the very center of it. We have been made prisoners of an eternal hope, and the prophet Zechariah writes in chapter 9 of his great work of prophecy all about that. And and women have always been on The Lord God's center stage in history, as we shall now see revealed in the pages of sacred biblical history. Okay, Zechariah. This is a well known verse, but the context you may not have remembered. But uh, Daniel, I'd like you to read uh, these first three verses there of this well known uh, section Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. Rejoice
2: greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall... Peace peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein
1: is no water.
0: Thank you, Daniel. So, uh, <laughs> you see, the Lord God is making uh, another great promise here, and it's all a familiar one to us, right? Okay, Linda, would you read the rest of these verses? Zechariah chapter 9, verses 12 through
3: 17. Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. When I have bent Judah for me, filled the bow of Ephraim, and raised up thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as a sword of a mighty man. And the Lord just said, seen over them and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning and the lord god shall blow the trumpet and shall go with whirlwinds of the south and the lord of hosts shall defend them and they shall devour and subdue the slings the sling stones and they shall drink and make a noise as though wine and they shall and they shall be filled like bowls and as corners of the altar and the Lord their God shall save them in that day, as the flock of his people. But they shall be as the stones of a crown, lifted up as an ensign unto his land. For how great is thy goodness, and how great is his beauty! Corn shall make the young man cheerful, and new wine the maid.
0: Ah, thank you, Linda. So, uh, just to repeat those words from verse 12: Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto the prisoners of hope. It's a great expression, isn't it? I'm reminded also, of course, how can I not be, and you as well, of Paul's many statements in his letters regarding his own life and how he had been selected out as apostle of the Gentiles and what that all meant. For him personally, and how he would suffer for the sake of the Lord Jesus, and uh, he would be in bondage even, <laughs> and worse. Right? Uh, he calls himself and some others the offscouring of all things, uh, <laughs> using uh, some other language. But in Philippians chapter one, he was in—you know—he was in bondage in Philippians chapter one, <laughs> in Rome. But what does he say? I would you to understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Well, so Paul was also a prisoner of hope. Hmm? Indeed, right? And so so many others in Scripture are... uh, uh, have had their lives recorded for us uh, in that way they were prisoners of hope and the sacred record makes that so very very clear now these things should all be our examples too that we might have hope according to first corinthians ten six, paul wrote now these things were our examples <laughs> of course that uh, we might have hope right well I want us to now consider, and we're going to look all together at many of those who were prisoners of hope. Today, three out of the Old Testament. First of all, you might think it's unlikely choice, but uh, not unlikely at all. And that is Abram's wife, Sarah. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> Abram's wife, Sarah. Now, I'm going to read a little bit from Hebrews 11, and then I'll be asking Lisa to read uh, three verses there about Sarah. Put it in the context, but what, uh, Sarah was Abraham's wife. So let's read about Abraham first. Hebrews 11:8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place, which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Do you think maybe Abram was a prisoner of hope? I certainly think so. He sojourned as in a strange country, Hmm. dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now, where did Isaac and Jacob come from, you might wonder? (laughs) Well, Sarah, of course. Uh, So, Lisa, would you read for us here from Hebrews 11, verses 11 to 13?
2: These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth.
0: Okay, thank you, Lisa. Well, uh, remember when Abraham believed, um, he, he uh, his faith sprung. Out uh, of a hope which was against hope, <laughs> it says in Romans um, because his age was too great, his wife was uh no longer capable at her age of bearing children, and so the promise of God, though it could have fallen on deaf ears, fell on those that would hear, and hope sprung in their hearts and brought to fruition a life of faith, right? And God blessed them. He brought uh, fruit to Sarah's womb, and Isaac was conceived, right? However,
1: hope only makes sense when the thing hoped for
0: is not seen. Otherwise, Paul writes, it wouldn't be hope, right? (laughs) You don't hope for that which is seen, only for that which is not seen, okay? So here we have Abraham and we have his wife, Sarah, with a hope based upon the promise of God. They were in their very lives, day by day, to use Zechariah's words, Prisoners of hope. Their hope was at the center of their lives. But according to what Lisa just read, they died in faith, not having received the promises. Having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They were prisoners of hope and their hope. Uh, endured wow I want us to now consider another example so first Sarah now the next example I've chosen is that of the sister of a very famous man (laughs) Uh, this famous man's sister was named Miriam hmm Miriam, and I want to consider Miriam as an example of one who was a prisoner of hope, <laughs> and also
1: a woman, an amazing woman, quite clearly, and one who had a heart the Lord
0: could touch, and that was Pharaoh's daughter. <laughs> and indeed, the two worked together as a pair in the uh, way that all the Almighty The plan of God was uh, worked out in human history, right? Okay, let's uh, read there. Patty, would you read to us about that in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, and verse 17 and 22.
2: Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel, are more in my year than we come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and
1: so get them up out of the land, but the midwives feared God
2: and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive.
0: Okay, so Pharaoh uh, was uh, greatly threatened by the uh, Hebrews. There were now... Uh, A great many of them, millions, counting the children. And uh, he was considering uh, them as enemies, potentially. Remember, they had lived there for hundreds of years. Uh, And uh, so it came to pass, finally, where those that were numbered as 70, remember, 70, had come out of the promised land and into Egypt because of the famine under, under, uh, Jacob, right? Jacob and his 12 sons and so forth. And God had blessed them greatly in the very, uh, bread as Egypt, as it were. Remember Joseph, Joseph, uh, was used by God to bring great blessing to his family. Right. But, uh, They were not always in good stead with the Egyptians and much conflict developed over time. So Pharaoh now wants all the male children to be destroyed. He commands that every Hebrew uh, son be cast into the river. Interestingly, there was one who would be cast into the river. (laughs) And it would end up being uh, Pharaoh's uh, <clears throat> greatest problem, indeed, right? <laughs> oh, so let's um, let's read about that. And uh, Tom, would you please read those 10 verses there Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10?
4: And there went a man of the house of Levi. He took to wife a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself in the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son.
0: And she called his name Moses, and she said, "Because I drew him out of the water." Oh my, thanks, Tom. Okay, so the the, the word Moses in the Egyptian dialect means drawn out. <laughs> okay, so he became the adopted son of Pharaoh, daughter. Well, there are some several women involved here, right? There's Miriam, right? And there is Moses' mother, Jacobed, right? And there is Pharaoh's daughter. Three women, all who have a heart, that can be touched by such matters as this, right? Because God made them that way. And I would say... You just look at the, at the history of uh, Moses' mother, Jochebed a daughter of Levi, as was her husband. They were well instructed in the scriptures, and uh, as far as we can tell, they knew the Lord. They had personal faith, right? In other words, they were prisoners of hope, and more, they certainly needed hope in this situation, did they not? What a miraculous and amazing turn of events this was. <laughs> Uh, from a humanly hopeless situation of the worst sort all the way over to one of great, great hope and faith. Uh, I just find it totally amazing to read these stories. Um, this is sacred history. What we see here is how God works in the warp of time and history, right, in the web of, of time to uh, accomplish the fulfillment of the promise there back in Genesis chapter 3 regarding the seed of the woman, right? Because the nation of Israel was the nation through which the seed would be brought to pass and the promises fulfilled, right? Okay, uh, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, There are a lot of great verses there. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world To confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Amen. Then he goes on to say, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So God was still working, uh, even in Egypt. And he worked in such a mighty way as this through those, wasn't only the women, but certainly the women were prisoners of a hope that endures. Let's go on and consider another example. This is the example of
1: a harlot named Rahab. A harlot named Rahab and the Israeli who married her, the Hebrew
0: who married her. You might remember this story. I hope you do. After wandering in the desert of Sinai for nearly 40 years, Joshua had sent two spies to Jericho because God had commanded the children of Israel to enter the promised land there by taking the walled city of Jericho. Um, this would be very difficult, humanly speaking. How could it be? but um of course, God had a way, <laughs> and he would do it in ways that were certainly surprising at least to the to the uh, <clears throat> uh residents and uh, citizens of Jericho. so would be the beginning of God's deliverance of the land of promise to the children of Israel. Well, so the spies cross the river. They go into the city uh, and uh, take residence uh, temporarily in, uh, you might consider, a very unlikely place for godly men. Anyway, they took residence in the house of a prostitute <clears throat> named Rahab. Probably they thought they'd be considered Ordinary folk. I mean, they'd be so mostly invisible due to the comings and goings there. I mean, this was a house of uh, of a harlot, right? <laughs> the town fathers may have known it well. I do not know. But the house was built into the wall guarding the city, and it was very carefully uh, chosen for other reasons as well. So the spies come and they spy out what the city is made of and how it's uh, defended and fortified and all of this. And the woman of the household, Rahab, tells the spies, she says this. He says, we all know what happened 40 years ago when Jehovah God delivered all of you out of Egypt. <laughs> we know it well, and we are fearful concerning what will some of us <laughs> we know it is jehovah god who is your god and he is god and he is lord and uh that was her testimony as it were i wondered if she even knew it was a testimony exactly but anyway that's what she said and she said would you please protect my family that they not die in your victory over my city and they promised to save her and her family. They departed after she promised that she would protect them, uh, going out by a window. Remember, the house is built into the wall of the city. And uh, they told her put a scarlet thread in your window so that our soldiers know what house. And what family is to be protected and saved, right? And so they did. She lied. She lied regarding all of this. And uh, through their lie, ultimately was accomplished the great purpose of God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 says it all. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies
1: with peace. Rahab is singled out here in an
0: amazing way in Hebrews chapter 11. The great record of the faithful, right? Those who had the enduring hope, those who were prisoners of hope. Well, that's not the end of the story. Remember what happens next in the story. There's another woman singled out. Her name is Ruth. I wish we could save her for next time. I think we'll start there next time. But since we've run to the end of our allotted time today, let me just give you the outline. Okay? You may not realize what the connection between Ruth and Rahab is. We'll get into the details of it next. But though it's not written in Scripture, I believe there were many occasions when Rahab and Ruth sat together in front of the cold winter fire and Rahab recalling what had happened in Jericho.
1: Because Rahab becomes the the source of David's
0: heritage, you might say, the direct source. One of the two spies, apparently, or at least one of those that came into uh, Jericho on that fateful day and, and saved
1: Rahab and her family, one of them married her. And brought forth a son. And that son was Boaz. Who,
0: we'll learn more about next time, married Ruth. So, the bottom line is that. It's quite incredible. The bottom line here is that David's. Great-great-grandfather was Salmon, according to the genealogy, and his great-great-grandmother was Rahab. David's great-grandfather was Boaz, and his great-grandmother was Ruth. Ruth, through Boaz, brought forth a son, and that son a son, and David was then born. So how was the promise of the seed of the woman fulfilled? This is the royal line that leads to Messiah. Okay. What a wonderful set of occurrences. None of them coincidences by any means, right? The Lord God had worked in the details in the fabric of history. And given some women a hope, they were prisoners to it. They did not see the fulfillment <laughs> that they might have hoped for but uh, knew that God would keep his
1: promises. And I'm wondering whether we, whether you, have considered
0: yourself to be right in the center of God's will
1: as they did. I wonder. Are we all prisoners of hope? We are, aren't we? But hope that is seen is not hope. For what is one hope
0: for that which is seen, right? <laughs> but it's for what is unseen that we hope for. Praise the Lord. Let me read, read for you some verses out of Hebrews chapter 11, right? At the end there. Of all of these we've been reading about today, it says, Of whom? The world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us or apart from us, should not be made perfect. Prisoners of hope indeed, so are we. It's compelling, isn't it? To be caught in the web of time and in the fabric of history. And that history is the history of the victorious Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen and amen, amen. Well, are there any
1: comments before we go to prayer today? Okay. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for gathering us today,
0: and we are prisoners of hope. <laughs> it is that hope that carries us through times of trial, times of great abundance, times of loss, times of grief. Uh, but we know, Father, that your hand rests upon us. And uh, we are truly, uh, even as Paul wrote of himself and others, truly often and have been done through history, uh, the off-scouring of all things, even the the brunt of uh, those who are enemies, Father, of the cross of Christ. And yet they will never be victorious, but you shall be and are through our Lord Jesus. We as well, Father, uh, are victorious indeed through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, thank you that we, we possess a hope that is unshakable. And uh, we just look, Father, to see how You'll work in our times, whether that's uh, immediately in our families and close by, or whether that's on the larger scale, uh, even globally. But Father, we know that Your will will be accomplished, and so many have gone before to prove that out in their lives, and uh, we rejoice, Father, at Your good word today, and thank You in.
1: Christ's precious and and holy name. And amen. Amen.